Well, today is Christ the King Sunday in the church calendar. It is considered to be actually the last day of the year in the church calendar um, that starts with, um, we'll start over the year next Sunday with Advent, um, these Sundays that are leading up to um, the birth of Jesus. It's the day that we recognize and spend special consideration about the fact that Jesus is the King of the world and that that is a reality. Now, if you followed the church calendar with us for some time, you notice that the calendar kind of forms us and directs our focus. And throughout the calendar year, the, the gospel message um, gives us the rhythms of this, um, the, the liturgy in this, give us focus on what the message of the gospel is and what it's about. And so Christ the King Sunday is this bridge between what's called ordinary time, which starts after the season of Pentecost, which is back in the spring, and leads up to these four weeks of Advent. And so it's this kind of bridge Sunday. Um, during ordinary time throughout the summer and, and early fall, we've been talking about the teachings and the parables of Jesus. Uh, we are disciples learning the way of our rabbi. But we come to understand that we don't follow just an ordinary rabbi, that we are following the inaugurated king. Jesus' parables are, are not really scandalous on the surface. They actually follow a lot of um, the Jewish teachings. They would be considered in the kind of the rhythm of Jewish wisdom literature. The scandalous thing about Jesus' teaching is not the content, but it's the protagonist. Because Jesus places himself as the king in the story. He is the bridegroom who arrives when some are ready and some are not. He is the master who gives talents to his slaves and then takes account. And today he is the one who separates the sheep and the goats. As a matter of fact, if you read the entire biblical story, you can pull on this one thread um, and it comes throughout the entire scriptural story. On one side, we have this idea of true kingdom. And on the other side, we have the attempt to usurp or to take over the kingship. And so I want to take a few moments this morning to start with. A moment or two, it's going to seem like several moments, actually. I want to take a risk this morning of telling you a story, a story that is it's, it's longer than what we would usually um, quote something. It's longer than what we would usually kind of tell a story. Um, but, I, but I hope you can stay in there with me. Um, the story is a synopsis of a, a story that was shared by Robert Weber. He's one of the uh, great theologians to, that um, has come out of Wheaton College, one of the most influential uh, professors. Somebody walked into his study one day and said, what's the gospel? What's the gospel message? And he said to them, do you have an hour? Well, I'm not going to take an hour, okay? But I'm going to take a few minutes, and I want you to hear the story um, about this idea of king and how it perpetuates the entire scriptural story. By the way, this is also, as we understand scripture, as we understand the entire story of scripture, this is also why it's pretty dangerous to pull out 
a scripture at a time or one little section of scripture at a time and not consider how it is impacted by the whole story. It's so easy. You can pull out certain things and make them kind of say almost anything, which, which which is very dangerous. So sit back. Watch and listen. For you auditory learners, you might want to close your eyes and just listen to this. If you're a visual learner, we're going to have the words on the screen, and so so you can kind of follow along. But listen to what the story of Scripture says. In the beginning, God created everything, things that we see now and things that we do not yet see. He turned all that he created into a kind of cosmic temple. In the beginning, he created two reflections of himself, icons bearing his image, Adam and Eve. Their task? To govern the world on God's behalf. But Adam and Eve usurped, took over for themselves God's authority. Instead of listening to the word of God, they listened to the serpent. They believed a lie. In doing so, they gave up their responsibility as governors. They wanted to be God to rule the world themselves. So they were banished from Eden because Adam and Eve gave up their responsibility. The world began to break apart. All of Adam and Eve's descendants have continued in this pattern. We are usurpers. We want to rule, not as God's undergovernors, but as gods and goddesses. God continued to give his people opportunities to right the ship, to recognize his kingship, And yet, we continued to usurp the king. Mutiny, a coup was the name of the game. But God chose a different way. He chose a family, the descendants of Abraham, Israel. God would give this chosen people the task of governing. God created a covenant, a promise that would last forever and would redeem, regain possession of the world. They are his people. He is their God. Just as Adam and Eve were to govern and steward the world, Israel was called to bless all nations. At times they did this well, yet they were not immune to the urge to usurp. God liberated Israel from slavery in Egypt. He gave them the Torah, the law, and renewed on Mount Sinai the promise he made to Abraham. The Torah was to govern them, and if they allowed it to govern them, they would flourish. They did, yet they did not allow it to govern them. They eventually asked for a king of their own so that they could be like other nations. God balked, but he eventually gave them what they wanted, a human king. He allowed them to live as usurpers. Yet in an act of God's amazing grace, God took one of their human kings, David, and made him the sort of king God wanted for them. David would be the one, like Adam and Eve were called, like Israel was called, to govern the world on God's behalf. And yet David was not immune to the urge to usurp. He messed up his kingly responsibilities. His son Solomon messed it up more. Every king usurped God. So God sent the prophets to warn them that there was only one true king. His name was Yahweh. Sometimes God had to discipline Israel to get their attention. Sometimes this discipline worked like the exile in Babylon. There was a spiritual revival when they returned to the land, but it was stopped in its tracks by, you guessed it, usurping. They forgot. They forgot their calling to bless the world. Years of silence passed, 
and God radically broke into history with someone who was both descendant and non-descendant, someone who would rule rightly and not as a usurper. God sent Israel, Jesus, through Mary and Joseph, and God told Mary through an angel that her son Jesus would someday rule on God's behalf as Messiah. Yet the usurping heart of both Israel and the world showed itself in the presence of God's true king. Do you notice that we keep doing that? Jesus did good everywhere he went. He healed and rescued people. He brought to the table those who were forgiven and saved and healed and made new. There was a new community forming of those who had turned from usurpers to lovers. In that the Roman and Jewish decided it would be better to put him to death. They had created systems of kingship for themselves. And he was a threat to that. So they killed him in a humiliating, despicable way, naked on a cross. This was usurping at its lowest point, mutiny, the ultimate coup. What the usurpers didn't know was that Jesus was actually entering into their usurpations and the death they deserved for their sins. He took their sins, their rebellion, on himself. They didn't know that God himself would reverse their usurping. He could reverse death and start all over again. This way of dying as servant was to become the only true way of living and making peace in the world. What they didn't understand and what we still don't understand was that the way of true kingship is self-sacrifice, self-giving love. True power only comes through surrender. It wasn't just those who killed him were confused by this. His own disciples didn't even get it. Christ's resurrection proved that the usurpers do not have the last word. And God's people are called into a new kind of kingdom. Indeed, a new world altogether. They are called once again as governors with God. To make this clear, Jesus appeared to a bunch of people and then he was taken up into the presence of God. The king, the earth needed, has come. He is exalted over the whole earth and he calls us to accept him and accept his rule. If we turn to him, we are forgiven our usurpations. And in this new world, God's people have been given the Holy Spirit who empowers us and transforms us from usurpers to servants of God's love. That's what God is doing in us, transforming our usurping. We still live in an imperfect world. We are imperfect reflections of God. And yet someday, Jesus, the perfect reflection and true king, will return and rescue us and set us up one more time in this world. All will be made right. All usurpations will end and everyone will serve Jesus in the power of the Spirit to the glory of God the Father. We will fully and completely govern on God's behalf in the way of Jesus. Christ the King. That is our constant challenge um, with this reality of his kingship, um, of continuing to take over, to take back this ruling in our life. So how do we break this human pattern? How do we kind of draw a line in the sand in our own life and not let history repeat itself? We continue to usurp God's authority When we do that, we reject our own responsibility and calling, and other things will always step into a leadership vacuum um, in our life. 
Our epistle reading this morning, we read the gospel earlier, our epistle reading in the lectionary for Christ the King Day is Ephesians 1. Paul is writing to Ephesus. Ephesus was a, um, was a center of power. There was a, a political power. There was civic power. There was a lot of the power in the religious culture. There was a lot of cults and beliefs that were springing to the surface, and power was a constant theme in all of these. It was the center of that. Paul rightly expresses, as you'll hear read here, that the resurrection displays the greatest power that's ever happened in the world, that death came to life. And so listen to Ephesians 1. I hear a Bible turning. Uh, Ephesians 1, 15, 23. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. God put this power, you hear this word power, God put this, word, this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who who fills all in all. Paul says, I know that you are allowing God um, to rule your life because I see these two main things. I see your faith and your trust in God and your love towards others. We live in a world where so many things are cropping up to take charge of our lives. And these things compete for our allegiance, and these things will form us and shape us. If we are not aware, and oftentimes these things are forming us and shaping us, and they're kind of running behind the scenes, they're like a program that runs on your computer behind the scenes that's actually running things, and you're not even sure it's there. Individualism is rampant in our culture, which simply is, I am the center of the universe. I am a kind of God. There's kind of a, um, a, a narcissism that invades all of our worlds. Consumerism, I am what I own. This is quite poignant right now. We've just passed Black Friday, and I think tomorrow is Cyber Monday. Uh, now, it's not wrong to, f- to get a deal on, on buying something for, for Christmas, but we are naive if we are not aware of this instinct in us, this thing that we, that we find, this program that's running behind the scenes often that I need this stuff to be happy. I need this next thing um, to, to find fulfillment. There is a nationalism that's rampant in our culture. We call it nativism. This is similar to the lie that the Pharisees believed. Only my nation is God's nation. There are national insiders who have an inside track to the blessing uh, and kingdom of God. Moral relativism. 
we can't really know what is universally good and true and beautiful. There's a naturalism that all that matters is matter. It's just the physical world that it's important. And then conversely, there's a kind of a spiritualism uh, that says physicality and our physical world is not important and our bodies don't matter and the world and culture doesn't matter. Um, Nature doesn't matter because it's all just going to burn one of these days. Um, Tribalism, all that matters is what my small group thinks. So all of these invade us and want to take over and form us if we're not careful. And yet when we recognize our dependence, and I know that word we don't like, dependence, we like to be in charge, we don't want to be dependent on anybody, but when we acknowledge our dependence, the reality and the reality that we were designed to be fully dependent on God, when we move towards our calling to be God's image bearers, to reflect his image in the world, there is strength from that. And all of a sudden, things take on a different view. Our view of death is different. Many of you know Janice's sister passed away just a few days ago. Um, We're going to be very sad about that. Janice isn't here, by the way. She got sick on Thanksgiving Day. What a bummer. If you know her, that's a real tragedy because she loves these family experiences. Um, And we're going to be sad and we're going to grieve. Sandy, her sister, was delightful, brought a lot of joy into our lives. But we acknowledge the kingship of Christ. We see death for the saints as just a foreshadowing of life. We know that those that are lost in faith simply transition from life to life. We go from life in physical, fleshly form to life in the arms of Jesus. In your marriage, you may find yourself at times just feeling like, you know, I still feel like I'm, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. This isn't what I signed up for. I don't feel like I'm, my needs are really getting met and we feel that discouragement. When we have the view of Christ the King, we realize that our main focus in life, independence to him, being image bearers and little icons, which means image bearers of Christ, that our main role in life is to love others. And marriage is this amazing opportunity where we get to practice loving another. Uh, We get to practice this over and over and over again. And things that we practice form us and shape us. And so in the covenant of marriage, we have this opportunity to love first. It's not about, well, if I get my needs met, then I'll love back. It's, no, I am going to be the reflection of God in their life first. And I'm going to give. And I'm going to lay my life down as a sacrifice to give first. You may have people at work or in your neighborhood uh, that believe so different than you. And the things that they say just drive you crazy. Um, And you find yourself getting angry at them. But under the purview of Christ the King, we are encouraged to not isolate and not just to pull, pull away and just to hang out with those that think the way that we think and believe the way that we believe, but that we are moved to move towards people that are different than we are. And not to shove Jesus down their throat, but to trust that because Christ is king, that we have been 
that we are being transformed more and more into his likeness. And something about the power that is in us as we step towards others will draw, the, the, the God of the universe will draw all men to himself. That we trust that the way that we are being formed is going to connect in a different way that's going to bring life to them. In our anxieties or dissatisfactions or our angers or our fears, uh, which is oftentimes where we find ourselves in this human journey, because this can be a frustrating journey. Things don't always go the right way. Matter of fact, oftentimes when you're following Christ the King, um, you're going to bump into some, some roadblocks and some difficulties. And, and uh, we sometimes think that we, when we follow Christ and we serve him, then you know, it's, as, we, as we grow and develop and mature, it's kind of like a plane taking off, and eventually we're just going to get above the clouds, and life is just going to be bliss. And we, re- and we realize that the reality of this human experience is like train tracks, that you have good things and you have challenging things, and they're going to follow you all the days of your life. Uh, but in those challenging moments, we look to Jesus who's overcome the world. And so in the midst of our anxieties or fears or frustrations or dis- discouragements where we might be tempted to look to certain activities in our life to just help us get an escape or certain chemicals to just numb ourselves so that we just don't have to feel the pain. Um, where that would be our temptation, Christ the King draws us into deeper connection with him where he has real drink and real food for our soul so that our thirst is truly quenched. So many of these counterfeits that we've, we find, you've heard me talk about this idea that, that counterfeits are like drinking salt water. It looks like it's going to quench your thirst. If you're in the desert and you come over, over a hill and you see the ocean, it's like, sweet, I've got my thirst quenched. But the moment you drink from that water, it'll just make you thirstier. And Christ the King has real drink and real food. When we see evil in the world and we find ourselves feeling anxious, there's such an anxiety that's prevailing in our culture right now because we see when evil um, persists in the world, we see it instantly. Um, My battery in my phone would last longer if CNN didn't send these little notifications every five minutes, you know. Um, and, uh, but we see them instantly, and all of a sudden we're affected by those things. And, um, but when we come under the kingship of Christ, who has overcome evil and death, and regardless of how prevalent the enemy shows his face in working through other humans, we have faith in the story that Christ is coming again to make all things new. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ No evil can win over what Christ the King has already done. We find ourselves really hassled at work by our boss. I know you all have perfect bosses. Um, But you find yourself hassled by your boss or coworkers. um, And you find yourself on Sunday evening hating Mondays. And you don't want to go to work. So whether you're teaching ungrateful students or delivering mail to unappreciative people. You might be in the medical uh, profession dealing with administrators that don't seem to care about anything other than the bottom line. You're in retail serving people that always find something to complain about. But Christ the King empowers us to look past the hassle and realize that all these people are broken people 
that have issues, that are just reacting out of their own fears and their own insecurities. And with a sacrificial attitude and a servant's heart, I move towards them and I trust the power that happens in Christ the King. At the end of the service today, in just a few minutes, we're going to invite you to this table. It's something that we do at the end of every service. And we have the audacity to say that something's happening here. That this is not just us remembering something that took place for us. But there is a power that happens here. There is a presence that happens here. Philosophers and theologians have spilled a lot of ink trying to describe this. We'll never fully understand it. But when we understand Christ the King and we declare him as king, we recognize that this is a moment where heaven crashes into earth. This is a sacramental moment where um, the power that created the universe, the one who created you, that created the universe, that set the world on its axis today, that gave you life and breath, has come to have an encounter with you. And so we bring our fears, we bring our sicknesses, we bring our hopes and dreams for the future, we we bring our lack, we bring our broken relationships, we bring our physical bodies that are struggling with something, we we bring our... um, lack of hope in, in, in the future or discouragement of what's happened in the past. And we bring it with an expectation that Christ is king. That even though we have, most of us, all of us have fallen in the pathway of humans for generations and generations where we have tried to take over um, and we've tried to run this thing ourselves. We've tried, we've tried to find our own healing or our own uh, peace and our own satisfaction. We come, that to, come to the table today and we release it into his hands and we simply submit. And our bodies, um, if we were to uh, even to show this, might even lay prostrate or on our knees before him as king. And we say that we release our control. We would release this desire to take over. We put it back in your hands. And we trust this moment, this heaven meets earth moment. Um, and I wonder if we operated as, as him as king in our life, not just on this one Sunday, but on Monday and Wednesday and next Friday and next Sunday, um, if things might look different for our new year. Let's take a moment and let's just invite him into that space. Lord, we... Acknowledge, recognize, speak about. We read your scripture. We hear the story of the whole essence of scripture. We even use this term king. And we acknowledge today that we have a very limited understanding of what this actually means. We aren't even aware that we are usurpers half the time. Because we think we're pretty good people. We're pretty nice. We're better than most But Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes, that you would help us and reveal to us those spaces in our life that we grab hold of, that we take charge. 
and help pry our fingers off of those things that we fear that if we don't run or we don't control, that something bad might happen and realize that that is the place of freedom. That is the place of healing. That is the place of wholeness and restoration in our life. Lord, thank you that you get us. You formed us. You know what it's like to be human. You know why we are afraid. You know why we are usurpers and why we try to take hold. And so thank you for your grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for that understanding. But also we invite the voice of your spirit to convict us, to show us places in us that we have not seen before so that we might enter into a new kind of life in the future, that we might trust you at a level that we've never trusted you, that we might take hold of your grace in a way that we've never grasped it before. And so we honor you, your presence, and we honor you as king, as king above all kings, Lord above all lords. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.